It's good to be here. Amen. Amen. Uh, it's always good to be in the house of God, and especially when we're young, we have exams, we have finals and school and works, and we're starting, you know, business and stuff. It's important to be in church, so you are in the right place today. I want to, to speak on a topic uh, that um, we've recently just listened to. Uh, thank you, Max, for reading. Um, I will admit that... Um, I guess this is a confession to you guys, it's not a real, but um, whenever I heard sermons on this topic, I was always, or on this, these stories, uh, I was like, man, but that's kind of low-hanging fruit. Like, it's so, like, easy, you know, it's like, just makes so much sense to go down and, you know, say, this means this and that means that. But uh, I think it's very ap applicable, so I repent of that, and I think it's very applicable to our day and age, this story, specifically the woman who was sick. The title of my sermon is, Is There No Balm in Gilead? Is There No Balm in Gilead? That, if you know your Old Testament, is a quote from Jeremiah, uh, chapter 8, verse 22, and the full quote, or the full two qu big questions that everyone knows is, Is There No Balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Uh, you see, Gilead was a place where there's these special trees grew, and they were able to extract ointment from these trees and uh, use it to, to help people heal. And uh, physicians, they would kind of gather and, and live in Gilead just because the stuff that they were dealing and the stuff that they were using like, was right there. And so Gilead was a place with balm, and Gilead was a place with, uh, with physicians. If you will, in our age, uh, Gilead was like if Mayo Clinic and Cleveland Clinic, for people who know anything about medicine, would be in the same city. It would just, that city would just be the medical city of the U.S., and maybe, in, in a sense, even the world. Um, so is there no balm in Gilead? Something to think about. It's a, it's a real question. Um, it's, it's a rhetorical question. But it's a question that I believe every one of us needs to ask ourselves, and I want to start and finish this sermon with that question. So Mark chapter 5, verse 21 to 34, uh, is an interesting story. Jesus, it says, he crossed again in the boat to the other side, and a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. And immediately, all the attention, the attention of the people around Jesus and the attention of the reader of uh, the Gospel of Mark is turned to the official of a synagogue, an important man. This is a man with status. His name was Jairus. And he came up and he fell at Jesus' feet. This is a big scene, like this really respectable person is bowing at the feet of Jesus and he's begging that Jesus... Uh, he implored him earnestly, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And Jesus went with him. So Jesus is walking with the official of the synagogue. And as Jesus is walking, this story, you know, this is a commotion. All the crowds, they're looking at this. They're like, man, this official of the synagogue is just really humbled himself. And his daughter's just close, you know, to dying. Is Jesus going to make it? Is it going to be a, a healing? Is she going to die before Jesus gets there? The story is interrupted right there. Verse 24. And in verse 25, we read of the interruption. A great crowd followed him and thronged about him, and there was a woman. The Bible says, and there was a woman. 
And this wasn't just any woman. This was um, an insignificant, I want to say, woman. Someone who uh, was sick, but her sickness perhaps was not something that was well known to others. So whereas um, Jairus, he was the person that, you know, Jesus just got off the boat. He runs to Jesus, falls at his feet, and makes a big scene. Everyone knows that Jairus needs help, that, well, specifically his daughter needs help. And so everyone's following Jesus and Jairus, and Jairus is urging Jesus on. This woman is different in that her sickness or her problem is unseen by all the people around, most of the people around, and I'm assuming things here is unseen uh, and perhaps even by Jesus himself, although Jesus knows everything. The, why, am I, why am I assuming that other people didn't know about this woman's problem? What was the problem? It says she had a discharge of blood for 12 years. Um, in, in Old Testament uh, law, this made this person, this uh, woman, unclean. So technically, this woman needed to be outside of like the city or at least like the community limits. Because anyone who was around her would be unclean. If she touched them accidentally, brushed by them, if some of her spit somehow accidentally fell on someone, they're unclean and they have to go through this ritual, this long process. And no one wants to go to the process for no reason. So these people, unclean people, were kept outside of uh, the, the premises of society. We see that this woman is in the throng, in the community of people that is... Uh, bunched up against Jesus. And so she uh, has a discharge of blood for 12 years. She is unclean. In the most literal sense, she is unclean. By the law standards, she is unclean. And there's, I want to mention something here. There is something about sin. Just listen co closely. Something about sin, naturally, that makes us feel unclean when we do it, when we partake of it, or when we are addicted to it. And it doesn't matter how spiritual you are has nothing to do with how spiritual you are, how much you read the Bible, how much you go to church. I mean, there's people who have really hardened their hearts. And when they do sin, they don't even feel bad. That's a horrible place to be. But my hope is, is that when we commit sin, that we feel like something's not right. And, and the reality is that all of us being humans, we will fall. We will sin. But this woman isn't just falling into sin. It's not like she has a cold. It's not like she, her, her nose, you know, she's getting some kind of, uh, you know, nosmuck or something. She is officially unclean. Like she is living in a sickness, a horrible sickness that no one will read could have healed her of. And it's making her uh, live an entirely different life. Like everything she does, imagine everything this woman does. And I'm assuming things here again. I'm assuming things, but everything she does, I think she had to like filter through her understanding that like, well, if someone finds that I'm unclean and they know that, you know, I touched them, they're going to be really mad accidentally. If I sold them something, if somehow we interacted and they become unclean, they're going to be really mad. So her life is set in a way that perhaps I'm assuming here that maybe other people don't know that she's unclean. So she acts like perhaps she's clean, but really she's unclean. And that's the thing about sin, friends. That is the thing about sin. It makes us become different people. Because we feel the uncleanness of sin when we commit it, it makes us act in a different way because we don't want to show that to the people around us. We don't want other people to know what we are on the inside, what we do when no one sees us. We don't want that to come out. We don't want people to get into our thoughts, into what we think and how we act. 
And so in verse 26, we continue with the story. She had suffered much under many physicians. This woman is not just unclean. She's not just like planning her life, making it very complicated for herself to live. She doesn't have freedom to live. But she, in fact, has endured much at the hands of many physicians. She has been through so much. Friends, realize this. Sin is going to make you pay such a high price. Sin will always make you pay a higher price than you were ever thinking you were going to pay for that sin. And so this woman is enduring so much at the hands of many physicians. The way I see this verse, she's actively looking for help. She has not given up on herself. She has not given up on the sickness. She is looking for physicians to heal her. And she is becoming um, more and more experienced in what it means to actually feel the pain of suffering, feel the pain of sin, the guilt, in our case, of sin and shame and, 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 um, and, and uncleanness. A good question to stop here and ask, and I'll just be asking a few questions as we go down. How long are we willing to suffer? Because I feel like everyone, I literally sometimes think that, like other, different people for some reason have different strongholds of suffering when it comes to sin. Some people, it's like they come to God when they're 14, when they're 15, and they just spend their life for God. Yes, it's not an easy life, but it's not a life where they're suffering under the, the, uh, the, the tyranny of sin. But some of us, and I'm, I'm included, we come a little bit later. Why? Why suffer under sin? Why suffer under physicians who cannot heal us? And in verse 26, we continue the second part of that verse. And had spent, this woman had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. This woman had hit, in her, in her case, rock bottom. She had spent all that she had, all the resources, all her, all her strength, all her intuition, all the things that she could have done, she did. And she was still unclean. She was still sick. And now she was broke. And that's the other thing that sin done with, does with us. It doesn't just cause us to pay a high price. It takes everything from us. It takes our joy. It takes our peace. It takes the comfort that we can have in knowing that we are saved and have a, a place in heaven. It takes everything away. It makes us suffer. It makes us feel so bad. And so her hope is fading because we read that she was not better, but rather grew worse. Verse 27, something changes. She had heard the reports about Jesus. She had heard the reports about Jesus. Uh, you see, you know, the, the, there's like this joke that it's like any time in Sunday school when they ask a question, just say Jesus and you got like a 90% chance of getting the answer right. Even if it's on a super deep theological question. Uh, you know, level. But in this case, this is actually the case. Uh, when we are struggling in our, in our walk, and, and I, I believe every person who is born in a Christian family, and let me, let me just bring this back to Jairus. You guys remember Jairus? We started the synagogue official. We're not like Jairus. 
in the sense that when we grow up in the church we grow we we grow up among a throng of people who are all circling around jesus we know what it means like to walk around jesus to talk so we grow up in church does that make sense we grow up in Sunday school. We go to Christian schools. We get, get taught that cursing is bad. This is bad. Dress code is like this. Don't go there. And so we learn correct habits. We learn how to live life, um, if you will, with you know, the, all the check marks checked off. This is not like Jairus because Jairus is that person who doesn't care about anyone else. He's, he, he, he throws himself at, at the feet of Jesus. He has this huge problem, doesn't care who knows. And to me, it reminds me of a person who comes to Jesus from the world. Someone who walks into the church, who doesn't really know the culture. He doesn't know that when you're amongst Jesus, you really have to walk a certain way. You really have to like, you know, talk a certain way. You can't. And so this is, this is Jairus who, who runs up, falls at the feet of Jesus, begging Jesus. And he gets what he wants. He gets healing for his daughter. But this woman is different because she's in a crowd of people. And all, this crowd of people, although they're, they're around Jesus, but they're acting a certain way. This is Jesus after all. This is a rabbi. This is this great healer. This is the, perhaps the savior of Israel. And so they're all, you know, everyone's acting a certain way, although they're pushing around because there's so much people around them. And, and here's my question to us. Have we simply learned to live like a Christian and are not actually Christians? Am I, have I learned how to talk like a Christian? How to dress like a Christian? How to do all the things that my Christian parents would like me to do, but inside there is no Christianity. There is no personal communion with God. Um, uh, Daniel's sermon was like a perfect uh, sermon right before this. I was so thankful for that. Like the talking about, you know, having fellowship with God, having that personal relationship with God. That is what's going to make us or break us as believers. Have we learned to be Christian and have not actually experienced what it means to have Christian life within us? Has there ever been a moment where we've come to Jesus as our personal savior? So she has heard reports about Jesus. Here's the interesting thing, though. I think not a single sermon, not a single Sunday school class, not a single lesson in TCA is wasted when, it's, when we're talking about Jesus on us. Because the word of God has power. And it might be that you come to God a little later in life. Lord forbid that you come to God right away is my desire. But the word of God will get you. The word of God will do the working that it's meant to do in your heart. The problem is though, do we need to go through all the suffering or can the word of God actually change our hearts because they are softened? Because they are ready to receive. Does that make sense? Do we really need to go through 12 years of just suffering or is there somehow that we can come to God in repentance and find healing. You see, the woman, she suffered for, for 12 years. Jesus' ministry was three and a half. She literally, like physically, probably couldn't have come to Jesus before his ministry started and received that healing. She did at her time. But with us, the word of God has been preached to us since we were kids. Am I not right? 
The word of God has been taught to us in so many different ways. We do skits, we do poems, we do songs, we do sermons. We do like, we play outside and the teachers find a way to make the game activities, you know, Bible-based. We do Bible games. We do everything with the word of God. And the issue isn't with the word of God, I believe. The issue is with hearts, with my heart and with your heart. Is my heart ready to receive the word of God or am I constantly pushing against God's good will for my life? So she has heard reports about Jesus. The word of God has reached this woman and Jesus is stimulating faith. The word about Jesus is stimulating faith in this woman. She has heard about Jesus. We read in verse 27. She had heard reports about Jesus and she is now walking towards Jesus. Friends, this is gonna, what's gonna make or break our Christianity. You know, um, people, I, I used to, and basically there's this verse in the Bible that says, draw near to God and God will draw near to you. And it's like, well, are you earning your salvation that way? And it's like, not at all, not at all. But God, he knows our hearts. He knows if we're crying, if it's dry, if there's nothing, when we, when we come down on our knees and we're like, Lord, if you're real, reveal yourself to me and nothing's there. Do you think God doesn't see that? Of course God sees that. Of course God knows that. And every one of those prayers, they count. Every one of those prayers is God perhaps testing you, perhaps working on your heart to make it even more softer. So when the word of God really penetrates, really grows, it's really going to produce fruit. God has his perfect timing, but our, our, what we need to do is continually humble ourselves before the word of God and say, Lord, please speak to me today. I believe you have a word for me today. Speak to me personally. What do you want me to hear today? Because God is speaking to you today specifically. Because I'm reading the word of God, God is speaking to you today. Not because I'm on stage, but because I'm reading the word of God. God is speaking to our hearts today. And then we continue, she came up behind him in the crowd, touched his garment, for she said, if I touch even his garment, I will be made well. And verse 29, we read, and immediately the flow of blood dried up. Notice the word immediately, or in Russian, tochas, that hour, in, in, or, or that second, really, is the meaning of that. At that moment, something changed. And that's what's going to happen. When you encounter Jesus, trust me, you're going to know you've encountered Jesus. Ilya, uh, uh, he used to say, I, I know you guys remember his preaching. I just recently heard his preaching. I was like, man, I miss this guy preaching. Uh, but he, was, he used to say, like, if a, if a truck is driving at 60 miles an hour and hits you, there's no way that you can be like, well, I don't really know if a truck hit me or not. You know what I mean? A semi-truck hits you 60 miles an hour. Lord forbid that, that, you know, Lord forbid that ever happens. That's just an example. But the idea is God's way bigger than a truck or semi-truck. Much more powerful. When a person encounters God, things will change and things will begin to happen immediately in your life. My question to us today is, are we seeing today? Because people are like, well, yeah, I go to church. Everything's like ambiguous. Everything's ambiguous. No, no, no. In our life today, in your life today, do you see God working, God changing things in your life? God convicting you of sin. God telling you, hey, don't do that anymore. That's immediately. That's today. Is, is God working in your heart? Because that's a good sign. That means that God has now entered into the realm of your life and is now working with you. 
But if there's none of that, if it's, if it's all ambiguous, like, I don't know, am I a Christian or am I not? And I'm not talking about when Satan attacks and he's always going to try to, you know, whisper, oh, you're not a believer. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about, have you had that encounter with Jesus as this woman did? And it says that she felt in her body that she was healed. She felt in her body that she was healed. Friends, today God wants us to experience his healing. God desires for us to experience his joy. God does not, did not create us to live in depression and anxiety, constant guilt and shame. God created you to live in his freedom. There's an assurance. There's these blessed changes that always follow an encounter with Jesus. And in verse 32, we read, uh, Jesus basically begins to perceive that power came from him. He asked, who touched my garments? His disciples said to him, there's a crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? And it says, he looked around to see who had done it. Jesus is not giving up. So what happened is this woman just touched the fringe of Jesus' cloak, and she received healing, right? And Jesus could have technically continued on. But here's the awesome thing about Jesus. Jesus is not just about taking sin away from your life. Jesus is all about you personally. Jesus loves you personally. It's not that he's like, Jesus like, oh, I hate the sin. I'm just going to separate the sin. And once the sin is gone, he, he forgets about you. This woman got healed from her sickness. Immediately, there's a change. Immediately, there's healing. Immediately, there's restoration. And Jesus begins to look around. Where is she? Where is this person? I want to see her. I want to talk with her. I want to give her a word of encouragement. You see, sometimes we just want the healing. We just want the sin to go away. We just want our, our life to be filled with joy. We just want the, the anxiety to leave us, right? But Jesus wants more than that. Jesus wants you. Guys, do you hear me? Jesus wants you. And so when you come to Jesus, you're coming to a lot more love than you've ever expected. You've expected just, you know, God to deal with your sin. And God deals with your sin. Absolutely. God takes care of your anxiety. Absolutely. God brings his healing, heals your wounds. Absolutely. But God does more. He begins to call you son. He begins to call you daughter. He begins to... Uh, show you his heart, show you his love, and he begins to take you on a beautiful journey that's going to end in eternity. It's, it's a beautiful thing to encounter. If you, if you have encountered that, and I know there's many people here that have encountered that, th that's what I've encountered. It's wonderful. Because you think here that, okay, God, I just need to take, you know, clean up my life and all. God's like, yeah, yeah, I'll help you clean up your life. But I also want to know, let you know that I love you, and I died for you. And now, your life that you're going to live, you're going to live for me. As in, uh, I want you to live your life for me. I want all of you. Jesus today is calling all of us towards him. And I think that this is something that's important for us to grasp. Don't, sometimes we get stuck on looking past our insecurities, past our weaknesses, past our problems, and we have a hard time focusing on Jesus. Today, Jesus is calling you to look past all that towards him. Allow him to heal you, allow him to save you, come to him in repentance, and see that Jesus will take you in under his wing. And here's what he'll say. He said, daughter, 
your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. You see that Jesus doesn't just, it's not a machine thing. It's not a vending machine. Like, I just need to heal this much people. It's about the personal encounter and the personal relationship with God. Friends, do we have that personal relationship with God? Are we walking in the light? Is it an everyday thing where I wake up in the morning and I want to spend time with my Savior? I want to spend time with my King, my Lord, my friend, Jesus. I want to get to know Him more. That is what God is calling each and every one of us towards. To encounter Him, to enter a relationship with Him. Notice the words. Daughter. I, I think we can put in there, if, if it was a guy, he would have said, son. And that's how he calls us. It's very loving. It's very caring. That is who Jesus Christ is to you. And he f- finishes off his thing with saying, go in peace. Go in peace. A life with Jesus, I'm not going to lie to you here. A life with Jesus is not an easy life. Just because you come to Jesus doesn't mean that all your problems go away. That, you know, you're, you have this perfect, um, pain, painless life. But what a life with Jesus means is that you will always have peace. Peace becomes yours in Jesus. And perhaps someone here is tired of not having that peace, having constant anxiety, whatever, in their life. Come to Jesus. Experience his peace. It'll be like nothing that you've ever felt before in your life. So I want to return as we finish. Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 22. It's a rhetorical question. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? I want to, to read for us kind of a couple of verses before there. My joy is gone. Grief is upon me. My heart is sick within me. Behold, the cry of the daughter of my people from the length and the breadth of the land. Is the Lord not in Zion? People are asking, where is God? Is God not in Jerusalem anymore? Is her king not in her? Did God leave this place? Where is God on earth? Where is God in my life? Why have they provoked me to anger with their carved images and with their foreign idols? The harvest is past. The summer is ended, and we are not saved. For the wound of the daughter of my people is my heart wounded. I mourn and dismay has taken hold of me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then has the health of the daughter of my people not been restored? And today as we rise, I would like to ask us to, we could, we could stand up. I would like us to ask to pray a quiet prayer. Let's ask God, let's ask God to give us his grace so that we can enter his Gilead. When you enter God's kingdom, when you enter God's kingdom of light and truth and, 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 and love, this is a kingdom that has balm that the world does not have. Balm is oil. This is a kingdom that has medicine that you're looking for. You're looking for in friendships. You're looking for in relationships. You're looking for on the internet. You're looking for in video games. You're looking for on Netflix. But those things don't have the balm that we're looking for. The balm that we're looking for is where? Is in Gilead. 
The balm we're looking for is in Gilead. The physician that we're looking for is in Gilead. He's there. There is someone who can heal you, someone who can restore you perfectly. Fill your life with meaning, with purpose, with joy. Give you eternal life and walk you through this life. Through all the difficulties, all the hardships, into eternal life with peace being your theme. With joy being your mantra. That is God's call for your life. That is His will for your life. That you live this life on earth for His kingdom, for His glory, in His peace, and bringing glory to Him. Amen? Amen. Friends, listen, I, didn't, I don't mean to sound like, you know, down, like push down on, 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 on emotion or anything. No. Like, God's message is a message of hope. And God today is offering hope to any person who wants it. So in this prayer, we're going to thank God for the wonderful salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. Jesus, listen, Jesus died for our sins, all of our sins, past, present, and future. Something called the atonement. Something called justification, which we don't have time to get into. But it's a legal process by which all of our sins are paid in full for. So there's no sin that you can come to God and say, well, God may, maybe won't he heal me or forgive me uh, for this sin. There's no such sin because God's atonement, Jesus' sacrifice is perfect. So when you come to Jesus, his blood washes you, heals you. And it's like that woman that touched Jesus. You receive healing from sin. You receive healing from all the, the spiritual sickness that's within you, and you get life. That is God's will for your life. Our hope is Jesus. Our problem is sin. What are we going to choose today? Do we remain in sin, or do we walk in the light? And for those of us who have already made that decision in, in our lives, but we continue to fall. We continue to be the imperfect people we are. Today, I would like to remind us of 1 John, where he says, Anyone who sins is not from, of God, but then he goes right after that and says, uh, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate, Jesus Christ. We have an advocate, Jesus Christ, someone who's perfectly righteous. And when we repent and confess, his blood washes us of our sins. It, it cleanses us. It already has cleansed us. But once we confess, we once again... Uh, get into the position that we truly are meant to be in that is walking in the kingdom of light i don't mean to confuse you i'm sorry for for taking that second spin but i do want us to have a, a prayer and ask god uh to heal us if we need healing and if there's shame if there's guilt i would like us to come to jesus as our savior and say lord yes this is what i'm feeling yes this is what i've done but i repent i confess my sin before you i want to walk in the light I want to walk in peace. I don't want to be constantly, you know, guilt, uh, guilty and shameful because of the way I live. I want to walk in your light. I want to walk in your truth. What do I do? And as you dive into the word of God, after you leave this service, you'll see that God's word will wash you, will cleanse you, purify you, make you a new uh, person in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen.